Americans have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tough Buckets Podcast. This is episode three. Today is Wednesday, October 26th. Uh, there's been each team in the NBA has played about three or four games now into this regular season. So we have a tiny little sample size to talk about today with some of the teams we picked out. But today I'm joined by Sam Kavan down in Texas. How are you, Sam? I'm good. Enjoying the first, well, into the second week of the season now. It's it's a lot of fun seeing football and basketball going at the same time. It definitely keeps me entertained. So I'm happy. Yeah, me too. It's definitely a good time of year for sports fans. And I'm also joined by my father, Jason Unger, in Omaha, Nebraska. How are you doing, Jason? Greetings, fellas. Doing good, man. It's, you know, we're still talking, you know, 60 degrees here uh, come the end of October here in Nebraska. So, I mean, anytime, anytime you get some pleasant weather outside, some sunshine uh, this late in the year, and and, uh, usually when we, you know, we could be talking snow and and super cold temperatures by now, but uh, that hasn't happened yet. We, we we still have some some pleasant weather, some sunshine, so everyone's feeling good. Yeah, it was a pretty cloudy day today, but for the most part, it wasn't too cold. I think it was like 60 degrees out, 55 maybe, but it was nice enough to take a walk outside, which I did today. Getting into some basketball stuff, the first team I'd like to talk about is arguably my favorite team, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, they've had kind of an up-and-down start. They are now 1-2. Their first game came against the New Orleans Pelicans, which was a loss in a pretty embarrassing fashion. We'll get into that here in a second. And game number two, they beat the Toronto Raptors in a close game. And game number three was a couple days ago against the Memphis Grizzlies. And uh, it was a close game, but the Grizzlies ended up just outshooting them down the stretch. So the first thing I'd like to talk about is the wild card of this team, and it's Ben Simmons. Obviously, it's too early to really critique him and place judgment on him so far. I mean, it's his, he's played three games in the last like 400 days or something ridiculous like that. So it's going to take a while for him to get used to the speed of play, defense. He's dealt with a lot of foul trouble in the first three games and even in the preseason too. He's averaging 4.7 personal fouls throughout the first few games. He fouled out in 23 minutes against the Memphis Grizzlies. Ja kind of baited him into a, a ticky-tack foul. And I'm... In Ben's defense, some of these fouls that get called on him early in the season were, you know, some of them could go either way. But regardless, he's still getting used to the speed of play. He's not the elite defender that we saw in Philly quite yet. He's, I can, I'm kind of projecting him to get to that speed at about 20 to 30 games, hopefully. He can be that defensive presence that the Nets are looking for. But the main point I want to make about this team before we get into the specific games is the Nets have scored 341 points this season throughout the first three games. KD and Kyrie have scored 178 of those. So if you do the math, KD and Kyrie scored 178. That leaves the rest of the team with 163. We know that Kyrie and KD are going to be up there in the leading scorers in the league this year, but you got to have some more contribution. The next leading scorer on the team is Nick Claxton, who I didn't say this on the pod, but I had a hunch that he would be the third leading scorer on this team. He's averaging 16 points on great efficiency. Uh, side note, I picked him up on my fantasy team late in the, I think it was like the eighth round. Great nice. pickup for me. He's one of my Very highest fantasy pickup. point scorers. Yeah. I just knew, I knew he was going to be a great player for them, especially since he's the only real big on this team. But aside from fantasy, this team is 
I don't, I don't know how to feel about them yet. Like I said, it's so early, and they've never really played together. You can't judge a team until midway through the season, maybe around the All-Star break. But you see glimpses of this beautiful ball movement and what they can be capable of if when they play fully as a team. Uh, they still get stuck in some iso ball with KD and Kyrie, you know, dribbling the air out of the ball until the shot clock winds down. They have to take a shot. Now, it would be a problem if those two were terrible isolation scorers, but they're the two best in the league right now throughout the first three games in isolation points. My first question is for you, Sam. Where do you see this Nets team 15 more games into the season? Do you think they're going to be playing a lot more cohesive offensive basketball? Do you think Ben Simmons is going to get used to the speed of the game? What do you, where do you kind of see them? Yeah, well, you hope specifically with Ben Simmons that you you get another month, month and a half under your belt here and that he's at least able to um, A, get the fouls down and B, get the field goal attempts up. I mean, he... I was, I'm looking at his stats here. He's averaging just over four field goal attempts per game as a starter playing 28 minutes. I mean, that's comparable to Steven Adams this year, who's also a starter playing 28 minutes. He puts up three and a half shots a game. Obviously, you want Penn Simmons taking a few more shots than Steven Adams. It, it, I know Kyrie and KD, like you said, big volume shooters are going to be two of the leading scorers in the NBA this year. But there's enough ball going around that... Simmons has to be taking more shots than that. And then with the fouls, we talked about um, preseason, I believe, about Ben Simmons and how important defensively he was going to be to that team. Right now, it looks like they're starting – I mean, they they have been starting Claxton and Simmons to help with that yep. interior defense a little bit. If Simmons is uh, – not hurt, sorry – in foul trouble every game, the entire game, then who are they – gonna rely on if Claxton goes down with an injury or he gets in foul trouble he's done a great job of not getting in foul trouble so far he's actually averaging less fouls per game than Kyrie and KD um but if Ben Simmons specifically doesn't either a pick up his shooting at least attempts you want to see him shoot at least seven eight shots a game some of those got to be he still has the skill set the frame the build to be a great slasher even though people do play off him, it hurts a little bit. It's just you would assume 15 more games that this team will be able to gel a little bit better. They won't be playing quite as poorly. Um, just remains to be seen whether they can put that together, how long it's going to take them, and if they can get it done, like you said, by around the All-Star break so they can look like a real contender come playoff time. You mentioned his, hesitant, his hesitancy to attack the rim. So – Nicholas Claxton and Ben Simmons as a front court in Brooklyn is easily the worst shooting or worst free throw shooting front court, I should say, in the NBA. Uh, Nick Claxton is shooting 50% from the line and Ben Simmons is shooting a gross 42.9 from the line. Now the difference between Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons and the reason that Nick Claxton is third in the league and or third on this team in scoring, sorry is because Nick Claxton will get an offensive rebound or he'll get it around the basket and he'll go up and he's not afraid of the contact and he's not afraid to get sent to the line. Ben Simmons can get those same looks, but he doesn't want to go to the free throw line so he doesn't even shoot the ball. And that that's a huge problem you have when you're 6'11", you're bigger than the person guarding you most of the time, and you're just hes- you just don't want to shoot the ball. And now we saw that in Philadelphia and obviously it's going to take, we know it's not going to just click for him right at the start of the season. But if the Nets want to be a contender this year, he can't be afraid to go to the free throw line, uh, point blank period. So that's what I have to say about the offensive uh, side of the ball. But Jason, my question for you is, this team 
has is ranked 30th in defensive rating, but they're also leading the league in blocks. Now that is not a good that's not a good discrepancy between stats you want to have because if you're leading the league in blocks, you want to be a top 10 defense. And when you're the worst defensive team leading the league in blocks, there's something going on there. So what do you think of this team's capability of playing defense at a playoff level? Well, I I think this is going to be a common theme uh, throughout uh, tonight's show just because we're in three or four games into the season. So there's going to be some overreactions. There's going to be uh, some judgments made on some of these teams that may may not be fair, especially at this uh, point of the season, just, you know, being a few games in. But the thing that stands out to me, I mean, the addition of Ben Simmons, everyone thought we're going to drop him in to uh, the Nets and they're just going to automatically be this vastly improved defensive squad. And I have a couple a couple of reasons why that's hasn't worked up to this point and I'm not exactly sure if it will be the case as the season goes on. First of all, uh, Sam brought up a couple of great points uh, when he was talking about Ben Simmons. I mean, he's only playing 27 minutes a game. I think, obviously, they want to get him to the point where he's playing 33 to 36 minutes a game. I think that would kind of be his sweet spot. But we talked about the foul troubles. I mean, he's averaging more fouls than shot attempts through three games. I mean, that's that to me is a huge stat and a huge problem for the Nets. And Jake, you talked about it. I mean, he's just not being aggressive because like you said, he doesn't want to have to go to the free throw line where he looks just completely out of sorts. I mean, he just looks terrified every time he goes to the free throw line. So he's not being aggressive. He's not taking it to the basket and he's not playing into his strengths. So you're going to drop back to the defensive side because that's the question you asked. You know, just because you drop an elite defensive player into a team that's offensive-minded and doesn't necessarily have great defenders uh, on the team. I mean, KD is by far, and I you could say Nick Claxton too because he he's a good defender as well. But KD, when he's locked in and come playoff time, he will be and can be an elite defender. But you look at the rest of the roster and there just are not guys uh, who you're going to look at as guys who are going to be able to get the job done on the defensive end. So yeah, you're going to drop a great defensive player uh, into the mix and in Ben Simmons, he's only playing 27 minutes a game. You have guys around him who aren't necessarily great defenders. That's going to lead to being the 30th best defense in the NBA right now. And one other thing I wanted to say is I think another problem that Ben Simmons has found here early on in the season is he got dropped onto a team with two alphas. I mean, you've got KD and Kyrie. And I mean, those dudes are going to dictate what happens with this team. And Ben Simmons is not an alpha. So he has to figure out a way to fit into this mix with these two dudes who've won championships and are obviously alpha dogs. So that's going to take a little bit longer than three games for this combination and this mixture to come together. 
Yeah, definitely. And to your point about Ben Simmons not being an alpha, some people want to use that point and say, oh, he's fouling out of these games. Does he even really want to be out on the floor? His body language shows that he's frustrated with these foul calls and he wants to be out on the floor. So I think that narrative is just dumb. I just wanted to put that out there before we move on. I agree. But one, yeah, but one more thing about the Nets in their first game against the Pelicans, they got out rebound, out rebound on the offensive glass, twenty-one to nine. And jo- Jonas Valanciunas and Zion Williamson were just embarrassing the Nets on the glass that night. It, uh, it was uh, forty-six to sixty-two points in the paint. It was just an utter bludgeoning in the paint the Pelicans were putting on the Nets, and it was really hard to watch. So the argument for the Nets to trade for a center is getting stronger. We'll just have to see what they do there. I'm sure they won't uh, pursue anything like that until the trade deadline. But a more exciting team right now, arguably, is the New Orleans Pelicans. And like I said, they put a beat down on the Nets in game one. But man, we were talking yesterday and me and Sam caught the end of the Mavericks Pelicans game. The Pelicans were down Herb Jones and Zion Williamson and played outplayed the Mavericks. Even in the fourth quarter, I watched Luka made it close with a layup at the end and the Mavericks ended up holding on, or the, excuse me, the Pelicans ended up holding on. And this team is so deep and they're so impressive, especially defensively, which kind of surprised me with their starting lineup, including CJ, Brandon Ingram, Zion, Herb Jones, and Jonas Valanciunas. The only real elite defender you would throw in there would be Herb Jones, I would say. But Jonas Valanciunas has looked really comfortable on the defensive end. He doesn't have to switch out onto a lot of guards because they don't play a very switchy defense. Uh, Zion has looked like he knows what he's doing on the defensive end a little more. I think the addition of C.J. McCollum holds him a little more accountable on both ends. And obviously, C.J. McCollum isn't guarding anyone, but this defense is still ranked very high. So defensively, their ceiling is very, very high. Offensively, I don't I don't know if there's a harder... Besides the Warriors, and maybe you could argue uh, maybe the Nets on a good night, I don't know if there's a more potent offensive starting lineup in the league right now. You got CJ running the point guard spot. Technically, he's not really their point guard. That's more of Zion and Brandon Ingram bringing the ball up the floor and being the primary ball handlers. But CJ McCollum being the third best scorer on the team behind Zion and Brandon Ingram, I mean, your offense is going to be good when he's your third option. So I'll start with you, Jason. What are some of the things you like about this Pelicans team and uh, where do you see them going this year? Yeah, let's go in the direction uh, that you, in your question that you asked. I mean, offensively, you know, it's just a scary team. I mean, like you said, I mean, C.J. McCollum is your third leading scorer. I mean, that that just tells you that the Pelicans on any given night are going to be able to score with anybody in the league. And you ta- it touched on uh, Jonas Valanciunas. I, I love this guy. I mean, his efficiency rating, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it has to be off the charts. I mean, the guy only plays 25 minutes a game. And he's averaging 16 points, almost 12 rebounds, and a block a game. I mean, he's getting all of that done in 25 minutes, which is just insane. I mean, he only needs, uh, he's only getting 11 shots a game on a team, obviously, where shots are going to be hard to find with uh, Ingram Williamson and CJ McCollum on the court. But I just love what this guy does night in and night out. I mean, nobody ever talks about him as being an elite, you know, center. But for this team and for what they ask him to do, I mean, he's perfect. And he shoots 95% from the free throw line. I mean, that's that's incredible. That's so like big. I said, 
Yeah, so like I said, I don't know what his efficiency rating is, but it has to be off the charts. And then you touched a little bit about uh, on Herb Jones, uh, a really, really key guy for them because he brings it, like you said, on the defensive end for a team, you know, who isn't really going to get after you defensively. I mean, they just want to score the ball, but they also have uh, dudes like Trey Murphy, the third. I mean, he's given them some good minutes this year. You've also got a guy like Larry Nance Jr. You know, he's a veteran. He's been on championship teams before, played with LeBron. So, I mean, they have put together a pretty nice mix of uh, talent and dudes that, uh, you know, are willing to understand their role and uh, play a key, uh, different key parts uh, to make this team successful. So I think you're going to see this team in the playoffs, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if they if they win a series or two once they get there. For sure. And the reason this team is so promising for me is I'm just looking at some things here. Obviously, these are initial stats from the first four games they've played. So the things, the averages are going to line a uh, flat line a little bit. But CJ McCollum, career high in assists this year. I know it's four games, but he's averaging 7.8. He's never even came close to that in his career. And Jonas Valanciunas, 11 and a half rebounds a game so far. He's in 25 minutes, like you mentioned. It's just so impressive. Zion Williamson has looked way better on defense. This team is just improving in all the areas that they needed to. Coach Willie Green is definitely uh, responsible for the improvements that these guys are making in CJ's playmaking, Zion's uh, defensive efficiency, Brandon Ingram's ball handling. These guys are all just taking leaps in the right direction. And uh, Sam, what do you think about these players that they've assembled on this roster? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, uh, when we start talking about the Pelicans, you mentioned that Zion Williamson and Herb Jones were both out last night. Brandon Ingram was also out last night. Oh, so, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that's three of your five starters, including uh, two of your three best offensive players as well as your best defensive player out. And despite a fantastic performance from Luca, which we can talk about the Mavericks later, they the Pelicans look pretty great. And what I was kind of struck by is their balance offensively. So obviously they're like you mentioned against the Nets, they are an incredible paint scoring team, especially especially when Zion's in the game. They rank first in two pointers attempted and two pointers made this year. Um, they're able to just, like you said, bludgeon people in the paint especially with Zion, um, not as much of a force last night without Zion, but they were still really efficient in there. Also from three, they don't shoot a super high volume from three. They actually rank last in the league in three-pointers attempted this year so far, but they're shooting them at 39%. So they have the ability to, they just know that they're a paint-centric offense. Those kickout options are there. It's just not what they're relying on. Um, kind of the opposite of the Lakers, who don't have kickout options, and yet they're still relying on the threes. Uh, so they just have a really balanced offense. They can score in the half court. They're also 10th in fast break points so far this year. So it, it's a really balanced offense. You just got to hope with this team. Uh, obviously, we all know about Zion Williamson's injury troubles so far. Brandon Ingram also does not have the best history there. They both already missed a game. You hope that come playoff time, everyone is as close to 100% as they can be. And I agree with Jason. This team can make some serious noise in the playoffs, like steal a series or two, uh, knock out, upset a contender. Um, it's all in front of them if they can stay healthy and stick with what they're doing offensively. 
And Sam, what do you think about this? You mentioned their dominance in the paint, and a lot of that is uh, due to Zion Williamson in there. Zion is a Shaquille O'Neal level paint scorer. I think it's safe to say uh, he's not. He hasn't established himself in the league like Shaq did yet, but we're gonna see that very soon. I have a feeling. What do you think about like last year when they were talking about how Zion needs to spread the floor and shoot more threes? I just don't think that's necessary. I think he's so good on the inside, and I don't think he needs to even think about shooting a three, which he hasn't this year. He hasn't even attempted one. What do you think no, about that? I, I, I agree. Um, it, just because of how talented he is and how devastating of a force he is inside, through three games this year, he has not yet attempted a three. Now, obviously, you want him to have the capability to shoot one if they start pulling a Ben Simmons or recently a Russell Westbrook and giving him 10 feet, then – you want to be able to do that, but with the way the weapons this Pelicans offense has, you can't just totally play off him like that without s sacrificing some other part of your defense, throwing everything off. And still, even if you play that far off him, a lot if that's not a strong defender, he's going right – well, not really right by them, right through them anyways. So I, I don't think at this point that's something that he needs to add to his game at all. Maybe slowly over like a course of five years, kind of like Giannis did, if you can add a close to competent – a league average three-point shot just to keep people a little honest that'd be ideal but he does not need that to be an all NBA level talent yeah I 100% agree eventually he probably will add that to his game but right now I just I don't even want to see him attempt a three it's not necessary not unless he's wide open oh yeah of course yeah when when they're getting that Russell Westbrook treatment maybe he'll have to take one <laughs> yeah let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks it's hard to say where they're projected to go this year. They're going to go as far as Luka takes them, obviously. Uh, their addition of Christian Wood has been impressive. He's played really well this season. I haven't got a chance to watch a lot of Dallas Mavericks games. I I've been tuning into them a little bit, just kind of doing something and then turning the game on. Luka Doncic was my first pick in the fantasy draft this year in my fantasy league. So, I mean, I've been following his stats a little bit, and obviously he's playing great. So Sam, you told me before we got on air that Luca is average or his average usage rate is forty-one percent to start the year. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That would be if it holds. That would be second highest in league history, half a percentage point behind Russell Westbrook's. I think it was 2016-17 MVP season. So do you think he's on pace to beat that record? Do you think that it's going to level out a little bit around thirty-nine percent? Do you what do you expect to see from that efficiency rating? Honestly, the usage rate I see staying right around the level it's at. And for um, those listeners who might not ha are familiar with it, but aren't totally sure what it is, it's basically a percentage of possessions of your team's possessions when you're on the floor that end in you making a jump shot, missing a jump shot, or committing a turnover. So possessions that end directly, for better or for worse, through your hand. And so it's what you straight for you, Luka Doncic is saying is that 41% of the Mavericks possessions while he's on the floor are ending with him taking or making a shot uh, or throw or committing a turnover, which is, is insane. Two out of five possessions and with the ball leaving Luka's hands. I honestly, throughout the season, I don't see that changing very much. I can't say it's going to go up a lot just because it's already so high. I don't see it dropping a lot either just because of the way that offense functions and with Tim Hardaway being constantly in and out of lineup with injuries as he was, Tim Hardaway was also out uh, for that game last night, which is a big part of the Mavericks offense outside of Luka. Um, and the Mavericks need every single percentage of that usage rate 
Um, like Jason said, I think episode one, um, it's like the LeBron Cavs before he came to the Heat. It just they need that kind of performance from Luca every time they play a good team to get a win. He and uh, my roommate's a big Mavericks fan, which is part of the reason why I've been able to catch uh, two of the Mavericks games this year actually. And he just it, it's it's all on Luca every time. I, mean, I don't know any more eloquent way to put it. This team goes as far as he does. He's playing 34 minutes a game while having to put out effort defensively because teams like to kind of target him sometimes. Also being the absolute focal point to a historic level offensively. Hopefully he can keep everything intact and not just be totally worn down shell of himself by the end of the season. Uh, We'll just have to see how that goes. So as you mentioned in episode one or two, you compared this team to uh, one of the LeBron Cleveland teams before he went to Miami. What have you seen from the supporting cast of the Dallas Mavericks that is promising to you, and do you think it's enough to get them out of the first round of the playoffs this year in a deep Western Conference? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I've seen from the Dallas Mavericks so far this season, and that is, I get confused as hell at who is who on the floor because to me, Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, they're like interchangeable to me. I mean, I mean, I look out there and it's like. Okay, here's a 6'5", 6'6", dude, casting threes. I guess I can tell the difference. I mean, I know who Reggie Bullock is because he has that crazy uh, bleached out uh, dreadlocked hair. So I can tell who he is. But otherwise, it's just a lot of the same parts for me. Uh, Different lineups that are out there with Luka. It's like they have a lot of the same, uh, same pieces at all four of the other spots on the floor. It just, I don't know. We talked in episode one about how somehow uh, they figure out a way to get it to work around Luka, but I don't know, man. I've seen a couple of games this year, and I'm just not exactly sure what to expect from this team. I don't really think they have an identity right now as far as what kind of team they want to be. I mean, I think they want to obviously uh, have the ball in Luka's hands and have him make plays offensively, but I'm not sure they have enough shooters around him. I mean, Christian Wood is off to a really good start, and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is shooting the ball uh, really well here early in the year as well. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, for the rest of the season if if that's really realistic for them to be able to shoot the ball as well as they have here early on and and I I think Sam hit it on the head with Luca I mean he's playing 34 minutes he has to do so much uh, to help them facilitate the offense on the offensive end of the floor Um, he, he does also have to play defense I mean teams make him get in the mix on the defensive end of the floor I mean he's he's shooting 11 three-pointers a game right now I think that's probably four or five more than what they would really like him to shoot and he's only shooting 25% from behind the three-point line so I think all of the effort that he has to put forth just to keep them competitive offensively may be taking a toll already through only three games on his shooting percentage. So we'll have to see how that plays out uh, for the rest of the season. 
I agree, and I just want to jump on right away. If the season were to end after three games, Christian Wood would absolutely be off-season acquisition of the year. He's been incredible so far. We'll see if he can uh, continue to play at that level. Agreed. A lot of people didn't know what to think about that trade uh, for Christian Wood, but I think any good player that you can put next to Luka Doncic is a plus. My two closing thoughts about this team before we move on. Uh... They're really going to miss Jalen Brunson, especially when Luka Doncic is off the floor. I mean, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is pretty good, but they're really going to miss having an extra ball handler in Jalen Brunson, especially at the elite level that he played last year. So they're really going to miss him. And I think this team can win a playoff series or two if they're as good as they are on defense as they were last year. They were a top seven defensive team, I believe, last year. I might be wrong, but they were at least top ten. And you have to be a top 10 defense in the league if you want to advance in the playoffs. So it's going to come down to what Jason Kidd can do for this team on the defensive end. They won 52 games last year. I'm not sure if they'll get that mark again, but we'll just have to wait and see. And the next team we're going to talk about is the team that the Dallas Mavericks beat in the playoffs last year, and that is the Phoenix Suns. They're off to a pretty hot start. I believe they're 3-1. and one. Am I right about that, Sam? Or am I, is that, did I get that wrong? Um, yes, they are 3-1 and one so far. Yep, 3-1. and one. They just beat the crap out of the Lakers last night. I like what I'm seeing from this team so far. Devin Booker is averaging 32 points in the four, first four games. Uh, something that we talked about in our group chat this morning, or maybe it was yesterday, I can't remember, was the decline of Chris Paul. And I think you can make an argument. Obviously, he's like 38 years old now, so he's going to be declining. He's only averaging 9.8 points. Last year, I believe he was around 16 and I don't think that's because of his physical ability declining. I think he's taking a step back. I think he wants guys like Mikel Bridges and Cameron Johnson to be up in that 16, 17, 18 points per game range. He's still averaging 10 points. His body type is still good enough, and he's fast enough to get around uh, defenders and break down defenses off the dribble. I just don't think we're going to see any 30, 40-point scoring nights out of Chris Paul this season. I think he's going to take it easy. We saw what happened in the playoffs last year. He just ran out of gas. So I think they're going to be pretty cautious about the minutes they're playing him. He's Right now he's up at 33 and a half. I expect that to go down to about 30 this year. And I expect him to miss some back-to-backs and some time with injury. I think they just need Chris Paul to be energized for the playoffs. They need him to be ready to go because we saw what happened last year in the Pelican series. They really wore him down. Jose Alvarado guard, uh, played defense the full length of the court against him, and that's something that threw him off and really wore him down. And by the time the Mavericks series started, Chris Paul was just a shell of himself. So I expect this team to be top three or four in the West. I think they're just too good and too well coached not to be. I think DeAndre Ayton's relationship with uh, Monty Williams has improved. At least that's what the media is reporting. So we're going to have to just run with that and believe that. But right now, DeAndre Ayton is averaging 18 points a game on great efficiency he's also averaging almost 10 rebounds and i think if he stays around 18 and 10 i mean that's I mean that's about what you can ask from it from him i mean he's gonna have games where he gets you 30 points and 15 rebounds that's just the player he is but i'm not as down as i was on this team before the season started i think after seeing them play seeing Mikel bridges be one of the best defenders in the league seeing cam johnson take a leap uh i i think i have faith in this team i can see them being in the western conference finals again and sam what do you think about them yeah, absolutely. I think talking about Chris Paul specifically, because I, I believe that was Jason that brought that up, like you said, either this morning or yesterday in our group chat, 
it seems to me to be kind of a combination of him both physically just, you know, he's not LeBron. Father Time's going to catch up with him. Uh, he's 37 years old. Also willingly taking a step back. His and uh, Sun's like blog pages are reporting on this. I'm going to talk about usage rate again. His usage rate is down at 15.6%. So percentage of possessions while he's on the floor then with him taking a shot or committing a turnover much lower than it ever has been in his career. He's never been below 20% in his career, including when he was a rookie um, in New Orleans. So it is – he's still playing 34 minutes a game. He's just not a focal point of their offense like he has been the past two years. Uh, He seems to have fully handed those reins over to Devin Booker, who's taking 21 shots a game now. And I think watching the Suns, like you said, beat the crap out of the Warriors last night, it's going to come down to Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. I, right now, those two combined are averaging over 50 points a game. For them to be champions, at, and I believe they still are contenders, like you said, I was, I was kind of shaky on them going into this season. They've played really well through four games. For them to really be contenders and to win the finals, they're going to need Devin Booker to be a first-team All-NBA guard, and they're going to need DeAndre Ayton to put up close to 20-10, and 20-12 and 12 a game through the playoffs um, to give them the chance to do that. I think they still can. And DeAndre Ayton seems to not have those chemistry problems that we thought he might have coming into the season. So we'll see. Uh, to me, it looks like Chris Paul taking a step back, kind of knowing when to take a step back, which is – Pretty rare uh, in the NBA for former, you know, hall, well, Hall of Fame talents who were alpha dogs for over a decade. So hopefully it works out for him. We'll see how it goes over the coming weeks. Yeah, and what's your take on this team, Jason? Yeah, Sam mentioned uh, Chris Paul taking a, a step back. Uh, he didn't even step on the floor in the last six minutes of the Mavericks game in the season opener. And that to me was shocking to see Chris Paul on the bench in a game that was coming down to the wire, down to the last, you know, I I think um, it was uh, Moody who hit the game winner in that game. And uh, Chris Paul was watching from the bench. I don't think I've ever seen that in his career uh, where he was a spectator when the game was on the line. So to me, I, I have to give him credit because he wasn't pouting. He was encouraging his teammates and uh, it didn't look like, you know, he was sulking or was upset about it. And I think that goes uh into what you guys were saying you know i think he's kind of accepted uh the role of being the veteran on the team the guy who you can go to uh when you have any questions about uh, some schemes both defensively and offensively he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to answer your questions and figure it out but physically i just don't think he can get to the spots on the floor where he has been able to get to in the past he is just it looks to me like a half a step slow he can't get to that elbow and pull up for that jumper that just seemed automatic you know three or four years ago he just can't get to spots on the floor that he was able to get to 
you know, three or four years ago. You know, Father Time is catching up to him. But I love, I love what De uh, Devin Booker's done this year. He's shooting almost 50% from behind the three-point line, something that, you know, he hasn't done in his career. I believe, I don't believe he's ever even eclipsed 40% from behind the three-point line. So he's, he's making more long-range jumpers. Like you said, DeAndre Ayton is capable, and he's putting up his 18 points, 10 boards a game in his 30 minutes. You have Mikael Bridges, who's one of the top three and D guys in the NBA, love what he's doing. And they're trying to get Cam Johnson developed into that player that they can count on as that 12 to 15 point per game score. He hasn't quite got there yet. He was kind of banged up a little bit here in the first couple of games, but I think he's gonna be a guy who can take even some more of the responsibility and weight off of CP3's shoulders and, and carry some more of the load. So I agree. I think the Suns are off to a good start. I think they're right where they need to be in a team that, you know, you're going to hear from come playoff time. I think we touched on everything we needed to on the Phoenix Suns. We'll have to revisit them in a future episode uh, when we get some more confirmation on how Chris Paul is going to be playing and, you know, just the roles of everyone on that team. But moving on to the next team we've got to talk about, we got to mention the Portland Trailblazers, who have the best record in the NBA so far. They're 4-0. Uh, they've had some great wins. They've played great as a team. We weren't very high on this team going into the season. We were unsure of how Dame Lillard was going to play, if he was going to take a step back from last year coming off that injury. We didn't know how it would look with him and Anthony Simmons and their rookie, who's also a shooting guard off the bench. But, man, they've been looking really good. Josh Hart is... I mean, I thought he was good on defense last year, but he's taken a bigger step this year on the defensive end. He's a great small forward to have on this team, even though he's a little undersized. I mean, Nurkic has been playing good too. He's taken a step up from last year. He was a little hurt last year, but if he can stay healthy, that's going to be huge for this team. Uh, I haven't really got to see this team play a whole lot. I've watched one of their games, but I'm going to throw this to you, Sam, and you have a trivia question as well. Uh, before we get to that, what do you? how is this team 4-0 already? Yeah, they're they are four and zero through lights out shooting and surprisingly good defense for what we thought about this team going in. And I remember this summer talking about just we thought they had a confusing first round of the draft. Um, I forget who they who did, what was the name of that guard? Shaden, Shaden Sharp was the the guy who didn't play in college either. Yes, yes, taking Shaden Sharp when they're already so guard heavy, especially. Um, shoot first, pass second guards like Dame and Anthony Simons, who, by the way, that game against Denver that he had, I think, Monday night, I was watching that third quarter where he just went nuclear. That was insane. Um, that was a Clay Thompson-esque third quarter there. Um, absolutely crazy. They're just shooting really well. Uh, they're just killing teams from three while like kind of like the Pelicans keeping it to a lower volume. I, I'm just – they, they've beaten some good teams, too. The Nuggets, I believe the Clippers as well, right? Yeah, I think Jeremy yeah. Grant had a game-winning layup in that game or something. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And then uh, that, that late back-and-forth slugfest against the Lakers a few days ago. They're, they're scrapping out wins right now. They're getting some bounces for sure. But they look surprisingly good, like a team that I think can make the playoffs and can give a first-round team – a good run. Uh, can they advance past the first round? I think we need a few more weeks to see that before we can decide on it. One stat that did stand out to me, despite how well they're shooting, 
is how poorly they're passing the ball. So the Blazers are allowing opponents to have 28 assists per game, which puts them, which would be pretty high in the league for their average opponent. Um, they also are only averaging 19 assists per game themselves, which is second worst in the league ahead of only the Orlando Magic, who um, obviously are going to be lottery bound again. You know, any they're stat doing where a good, they're doing a great job of tanking their own four. <laughs> exactly. Any stat where the only team you're ahead of is Orlando, you're in trouble. Uh, and <laughs> I just, I was thinking earlier today, like, man, I wonder what good teams usually average for assists. Like, that's just a team stat that I have no idea. So I went on basketball reference and went through uh, and looked at the last team. Uh, or finals winners, sorry, and what they average for team assists per game. So I have a question for you two. Um, who do you think was the last team to win the finals that averaged less than eight, uh, sorry, less than 19 assists per game? So the Ooh. last team to win the finals that averaged less than 19 assists per game. Oh, boy. Man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, how about... I don't know, because I think Jason Kidd was on that Mavericks team with Nowitzki. I was thinking that maybe them, just because he was so ball dominant and seemed to have the ball in his hands, but I think, I think wasn't Kidd on that team? So they, they, they probably, yeah. They, yeah, they probably didn't, weren't uh, low on the assist range. Uh, Spurs, they were always a good, they, they always had high assist guys. I don't think it would be any of the teams that LeBron played for. See, but that's where I might guess you're the think, Heat you're, because you're thinking I don't that remember. Way? I don't remember LeBron ever averaging like eight or nine assists on those teams. He was always around the six or seven range. So I think my guess would be like the 2013 Miami Heat or whatever year they won. It was it 14? I think they won 13 and 14. They won in 12 and 13. Yeah, 12 and 13. So I'm gonna okay. guess. I'm gonna guess the 2012 Miami Heat. Jason, did you put a guess in yet? I uh, no, I haven't. Um, how about how about um, I can't. I'm 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 really bad at years when I'm trying to go back. How about like the Shaq and Kobe Laker championship Ooh, yeah. season? How about that team? That that that's that's going to be my guess. Yeah. So uh, Jake actually was very close. The 2012 okay. Heat only averaged 20 assists per game which is pretty low. Uh, there was a dip in the NBA Finals teams and their assists per game uh, in the three-point era that we've had in the last seven or eight years. Oh, and Finals yeah. winners are usually getting around 26 assists per game. The 2012 Heat were down at 20. I think the Shaq and Kobe Lakers were up at like 24 or 25 when I looked. Okay, okay. Uh, to find the answer to this one, I had to go all the way back to the 1953-54 Minneapolis <laughs> Lakers. smokes. Led by George Mikan. George Mikan, averaged, wow. A 29-year-old George Mikan, the Minneapolis Lakers, they averaged wow. 18.4 assists per game. Uh, that's cow. the last time, and obviously we don't expect the Blazers to be contenders, but that's the last time a team has passed that poorly and has won the finals. It was 69 years ago. So definitely something they need to figure out i mean that was before any of bill russell's celtics teams won the finals i think even yeah. uh, a totally totally different world when it comes to 
the NBA, the game of basketball, everything. Um, yeah, that's, so it's, that's been long, even, it's been a long that's, time. Yeah, that's before I even started watching basketball. I mean, and that's, that's, been, <laughs> that's, that's been a long time. So, wow, that's, that, is a great, that is a great stat. And when you look at this roster, I mean, it, it seems like they have capable passers. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Damian Lillard, you know, he was a seven. He's probably a career seven assist game, a game guy. He's down around 5.3. But, you know, I, I mean, the, the, the offense runs uh, so much through him. And uh, Simon's, you know, he's not a, a, a willing passer really at this point in his career either. So them being around 19 assists a game and being, you know, near dead last in the NBA isn't too shocking. But again, we touched on it a little bit earlier in the show. I mean, we're only three or four games into the season. So a lot of these stats are going to be skewed. And I just look forward to uh, kind of looking to see how the season progresses as we go week to week here. So there's a couple more topics I want to touch on before we get out of here. We're up at about the 45 minute range, so we'll, we'll wrap it up here pretty soon. But before we move on to a team, I want to talk about a specific player in Russell Westbrook. Uh, the Lakers have a problem. Russell isn't buying into what Darvin Ham planned this season. Uh, LeBron and AD have been visually frustrated with Russell Westbrook and his on-court performance. Uh, We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to get both your guys' opinion on what the Lakers should do regarding Russ, what they shouldn't do with him. It's, It's really a tough situation, but I wanted to talk about this one more time on the podcast and then leave it, and we won't talk about the Lakers again until they address that problem. So I'll start with you, Sam. What do you think the best route the Lakers can take is? Yeah, so I think for the Lakers, they need someone. I don't know if if Darvin Ham needs to take control or LeBron needs to realize what's going on. Obviously, they need to stop shooting three-pointers. To be shooting threes as poorly, historically poorly as they are, yet still putting up 40 threes a game is almost incomprehensible. Uh, Like, if I was a Lakers fan watching that, I would have torn all of my hair out at this point. That's... Man, it's ridiculous for your two best forty threes again, and that's your two best three point shooters are LeBron and the only decent ones so far this year are LeBron James and Austin Reeves. Um, it just what they're doing right now is not working. What is working so far? And let me. Okay, uh, what surprised me when I was looking through some team stats today, the LA Lakers are fourth in fast break points per game so far this year, despite the age of their roster, getting over 20 fast break points a game. I think they have the personnel, and for as terrible as a start to the season Russell Westbrook has had offensively, he's actually been a great defender. We know Patrick Beverly is a good – Patrick Beverly and Anthony Davis are good defenders. Um, if LeBron's able to put some effort in there, he, he definitely, even at this age, can be as well. I think for now, like barring any trades or whatever, we'll let the, the, the bigger media pundits, I guess, talk about those. Uh, I think they need to switch their identity to a defense half-court team. Like get out and run when you need to, but half like bruising inside, I yeah, it might be taking basketball back 20 years, but I think they need to adjust to that kind of style of play because uh, clearly they just don't have the personnel to play offense the way that they're trying to play offense right now. And I don't know if one trade is, is going to solve that. Uh, like 
obviously Russ isn't having a great start to the season offensively, but is just trading him going to fix all of your issues? Probably not. Um, so I would like to see a switch in how they play basketball. Um, if not for their own sake, for our sake, I, they have so many primetime games to be forced to watch the Lakers put up 43s a game at the rate they're shooting them is, is really cruel and unusual punishment. It's almost unconstitutional. <laughs> so hopefully they can do something to, to remedy that in the short term and then later on in the season see if any trades or deals are necessary. Yeah, and Jason, I'm not even going to make you talk about Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. <laughs> I'll save you the headache. But instead, I'm going to bring Taylor Swift into this a little bit. So today I was listening to the song Anti-Hero by Taylor Swift. And for some reason, right when I heard these lyrics, Russell Westbrook was the person that came to mind. And it's just really funny. So the lyrics in the song go, it's, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting. Always rooting for the anti-hero. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah, that that's Russell Westbrook right there. (laughs) What do you think about that one, Jason? Yeah, that's that's spot on, man. I, ha- I haven't. I have to admit, I haven't uh, listened to a lot of Taylor Swift's music uh, here. I'm recently. not gonna lie; it's my favorite album that's dropped oh this my. year. Oh my! Oh man, I'm gonna have to add some of it to my uh, to my playlist for sure. I'll have to check it out now. I'm gonna be listening to that tomorrow when I'm working. Oh uh, lord! But uh, yeah, <laughs> Sam, it's very accurate. I mean, I that that's exactly. Uh, that that exactly explains uh, Russell Westbrook to a T. And Sam stole my thunder because I was going to say, just play defense. Like, like Sam said, it, it's unconstitutional. I love that word. Uh, how bad they're shooting uh, the basketball. I mean, they're setting the game back. It, it's just, it, it really is so bad. I mean, LeBron's taking nine threes a game. I mean, come that, that's... That's about six more than he should be taking. <laughs> like like Sam like Sam said, just d it up. You you've shown so far through three games that you're a capable defensive team, and I mean you have some guys that are willing to sell out defensively and play defensive basketball. So concentrate on that. Stop shooting so many threes. Work the ball. Try and get it inside. Get Anthony Davis, God forbid, somewhere near the post. Get him the basketball. Run some high screen rolls. And just, uh, yeah, I I agree with Sam 100%. I was going to say exactly what he said earlier. Just play defense and and try and take uh, a higher percentage of your shots from inside the three-point line. Yep, I mean, that's about all you can do. And Sam mentioned, too, trading Russell Westbrook is not going to solve all these problems. There's an internal issue and a a style of play issue that the Lakers are dealing with. And I'm going to call it audible. I was going to bring up the 76ers and talk about them to end the episode, but we've already gone a long time. So we'll save them for the next episode. I have some points I want to make about their offense and their coaching in Doc Rivers. But uh, I think that's about all we need to talk about today. That wraps up episode three. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, I, those wristbands should be coming in in about a week or so, so I'm going to be giving some of those out to people who listen, and obviously you two goons that are on the microphones with me. So that's about it. That's an episode. We'll see you in the next one, guys.